As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Donald J. Trump at all versus Joseph R. Biden at all. Wisconsin now at the center of what's been losing attempts to litigate the outcome of the presidential election in battleground states. Time is of the essence here. In less than 100 hours, the electors meet to vote. You want us to overturn this election so that your king can stay in power, and that is so un-American. When we forget to enforce mandatory statutes as are involved here, we have lost our country. Wisconsin once again in the national spotlight after a flurry of state Supreme Court cases. Today we're sorting through them and what those rulings could mean going forward. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Hi, Amanda. We're recording this episode on Thursday, December 17th, and we are here once again with Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvi. Jason, welcome back to Open Record. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right, so let's start by going back a little more than a month to the 2020 November presidential election because that's where a lot of this starts. This is Fox 6 News at 9. Now at 9, the polls are now closed in Wisconsin. Voters are on the edge of their seats. The results trickling in from the battleground state and beyond and the most highly contested races across the country and right here in our backyards. All right, let's get right into it. An election night like no other. How did this election play out differently than, than previous presidential elections in terms of what happened after the votes were cast? Well, after the votes were cast, there were so many votes that were cast by absentee ballot, unprecedented numbers of people voting because of the pandemic. People not wanting to go out and vote in person. They requested these absentee ballots in record numbers. And we knew that those ballots were going to take longer to count because if you think about it, Wisconsin law will not allow people, will not allow the state to count those absentee ballots until election day when the polls open at seven in the morning. That's when clerks can start counting those absentee ballots that have been trickling in for uh, for for a month or so. Uh, those ballots can finally be counted on election day. And it takes a longer time to process them because you have to check the the, the envelope. Uh, the absentee ballot envelope has a witness signature, a witness address on it. It also has a signature of the person voting. And so there are things that have to do. And then you open up your absentee, the, the clerks, the, the election workers will open up the absentee ballot envelope on election day. They'll they'll have to uh, unfold that because it's been folded into an envelope. They'll have to unfold that document and then they'll have to uh, make sure everything's there. And then, and then they can put it through the, the county machines to tabulate it. Uh, but there's a whole process for these absentee ballots that takes longer to go through than just the normal way you vote uh, on election day in person. And that's why as election night went on and went into the early hours of the morning, it at first Donald Trump was ahead, but then Joe Biden eventually pulled ahead. And this was a scenario you had been talking about in your reporting, Jason, that 
you know, the, the public, if, if they were watching your reports, was very well prepared for the idea that we would get the final results later and that it could kind of seesaw um, between who was ahead. But ultimately, it ended up with uh, Joe Biden ahead by a, a pretty narrow margin of votes. What happened after that? Right. So so you're exactly right. Joe Biden ahead by about 20,000 votes in Wisconsin. Uh, when we're talking about the processing and things like that, it wasn't a surprise that Joe Biden took the lead when all these absentee ballots were added into the mix in Kenosha, in Green Bay, as well as in Milwaukee. Because if you looked at the way people were talking about absentee voting in the week, week or two or three before the election, there was a little bit more skepticism on the Republican side for voting by mail, by voting by absentee ballot. And so and also the president was critical of uh, some some of the states that have expanded voting by mail. So there was some skepticism on the Republican side that bore out in the polling as well. When you looked at what was happening with the polls, the Marquette poll, for example, uh, showed, you know, the people that were planning to vote in person were Republicans and the people that were voting that were planning to vote um by, by absentee ballot tended to be uh, people that were planning to vote for Joe Biden. I mean, by large numbers into the 65 and higher percent range were the people that were planning to vote uh, by absentee ballot uh, voting for, for Joe Biden. And then those voting in person, Donald Trump took the majority of those as well. If you looked at the polls before election day, so it was no surprise again, that once those absentee ballots were counted, that they were going to go for uh, Joe Biden and, and Republicans knew that going in that they really had to have a strong lead going into uh, the, the 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 long counting process uh, of that was going to take place in Milwaukee when you had you know all these absentee ballots that were. Gonna I, I want to point something out real quick to, to anyone who's listening. You can probably tell that Jason's audio is changing. Jason is and he's such a good sport in joining us for open record because I think you're in the middle of dad duty right now, right? I I, I sense there's some transportation of children or something to that effect going on here. Yes, <laughs> yes. Exactly. So just, sorry I, to everybody. You no, no, I give you, I just, I just want people to know this is how Jason Kelby's life is because he is one of the hardest workers and he is constantly on the go. But even in the middle of all this is here joining us to talk about this. And J Jason, you've been following this day after day. One thing is clear about this election uh, versus almost any other bar, maybe the, the 20, uh, the 2000 election uh, that, that was uh, delayed for quite some time, the results because of what happened in Florida. Uh, between uh, George Bush and Al Gore. But aside from that, typically after an election, you have a winner declared and you have a loser who concedes. Obviously, that hasn't happened this year. Uh, president Donald Trump has refused to concede the election uh, and acknowledge that Joe Biden is the president-elect. And instead, he and his team and surrogates have been filing flurries of lawsuits all over the country, some of them right here in Wisconsin. Can you talk to us a little bit about those lawsuits here in Wisconsin, what they were about and, and, and how they've played out. So there was a string of lawsuits filed by the Trump campaign and President Trump, both in federal court and in state court, challenging the election results. All of these official lawsuits from the president and from his campaign were challenged, were, were really about legal debates. These, these were not about conspiracy theories about what you may have seen uh, on some comments on social media. This is not what the Trump campaign's lawsuits we're talking about. They were talking about various components of the law that where there's various interpretations, and they were arguing that clerks have not been properly following Wisconsin election law. Let me give you one example. Uh, one of the things that the Wisconsin Elections Commission has backed since 2016 is 
when an absentee ballot envelope comes into the clerk's office, sometimes the witness doesn't have an address there. The witness may will sign the ballot, but not have an address there. Well, since 2016, the Wisconsin Elections Commission has said clerks can and should fill, you know, try to find out, call the voter or look at a public database, look at the internet, try to find out what the address is for that witness so that the clerk then can write it down on the absentee ballot, because otherwise, if there's no address there, then the ballot cannot be counted. So this happens um, in, in places across the state. It's been backed by the Wisconsin Elections Commission. And here in Milwaukee, when they when they fix that, when they what it's a process called curing the ballot, C-U-R-I-N-G, curing. Uh, when they do that, then in Milwaukee, at least they use a red pen. So it is distinguished from what uh, the ink color was that the witness actually signed their ballot, the, signed the ballot envelope with. So that's one issue. Is that backed up by Wisconsin law? That's an interpretation of the law. And there is a debate about that. So that's one of the things the Trump campaign brought forward in, in the courts. Another thing they brought forward was the issue of indefinitely confined people. Wisconsin law allows those who are infirm, uh, who, are, who are at home because of infirmity, illness, or age, they're allowed to mark themselves as indefinitely confined and they don't have to upload a photo ID when requesting their uh, when when they're requesting an absentee ballot. Um, so that's uh, one of the exemptions for the state's photo ID law for voting. And back March in March, clerks in Dane County and Milwaukee County had told people that because of the state at that time, we were in that safer at home lockdown order from the from the administration. At that point, the clerk said, "Hey." You know, you can mark yourselves as, as indefinitely fine because of this pandemic, because of the lockdown order. And so, that, again, is that is that allowable by what Wisconsin law allows? That was a debate. Um, that was another issue that the Trump campaign brought up in these lawsuits. Uh, so, again, various legal issues that were at play. But at the end of the day, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, the highest court in our state, decided against the Trump campaign saying that uh, well, for, for a number of these issues, the witness signatures, as well as some other issues that there was the doctrine of latches, which pretty much what it means is that you cannot wait indefinitely to make your case in court. You can't just wait weeks and weeks after the election to, to, to challenge these processes that had processes that have been in place in Wisconsin, at least with the with the witness signature, the curing of the ballots that had been in place at least since 2016. So what they're saying is you should the, the Trump campaign should have challenged those at least before the election, the primary when they, they were on the ballot in the primary. They knew that this was there in the primary. There were many opportunities, including in 2016 and the recount in 2016, where they could have. Um, known about these and brought them up before the 2020 election because they what they're saying is you're changing the rule book. You know, voters went to vote according to what they thought were the norms of this election. And now all of a sudden you're challenging hundreds of thousands. In the state court lawsuit, it was challenging more than 220,000 votes in Milwaukee and Dane counties. And so they're saying, listen, you can't you can't do that after the fact here. And that's why this Wisconsin Supreme Court sided again this suit here. Hey, Jason and Brian, I'm going to have to duck out here because I have an appointment, but uh, please continue this conversation. And I hope that uh, you guys can bring up the uh, interesting phenomenon that is the now Supreme Court swing vote, uh, conservative-backed Justice Brian Hagedorn, because that's uh, an issue that I think we've been following closely. But thank you, Jason, for coming on, and I will check back in with you guys a little later today. 
All right, so Amanda's Amanda's got that's okay. Amanda's got to run, but but uh, but I'm going to take from there because Jason, you you're talking about some of these various issues that affect the, the, the that were being challenged in these lawsuits. And what I what I really want to know going forward, clearly the, the Trump campaign and 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 uh, and, and you know, Trump's legal team. They've been losing these cases one after the other, and and uh, you know not just here in Wisconsin, but all over the country. But it, it leaves the question: You raise, for instance, the example of people who are indefinitely confined, um, and and they challenge that there. I think in this election there was something on the order of what two hundred and ten thousand people who voted as indefinitely confined, compared to. Uh, uh, quite a bit smaller number in previous elections. Now, obviously, we have the element of the pandemic that has changed the nature of, of uh, you know, elections this year. And so a lot more people use that designation. It's important because in saying you're indefinitely confined, it means you don't have to present a photo ID. And obviously, that's a very controversial law here in Wisconsin, has been for uh, in, in recent elections. Um, what I wonder is, they lost the argument on that. Um, that was one of the issues, if I recall, if I read this correctly, that's one of the issues that the court actually ruled that there was no merit to the argument. Um, and so does that impact the use of that designation going forward? What's the lasting impact on that? Well, the, the indefinitely confined component is is still part of state statute. So that's, that's still going to be on the books here. But the Wisconsin Supreme Court just this week, actually, uh, ruled it was the actually it, it was you know it was on uh, their their ruling came out the Monday when they also ruled on the Trump campaign lawsuits and this has been a lawsuit um, a, a challenging the clerk in Dane County Scott McDonald um, he was one of the two clerks in the state who you know suggested that people could use this uh, this avenue to vote in the midst of the March pandemic uh, the lockdown in March and the Wisconsin Supreme Court on Monday said that the clerk's advice on marking oneself as indefinitely confined during that stay at home order was erroneous but they they said again it's up to the person the individual who has to determine if they are indefinitely confined so for example there can be a whole host of reasons why you are confined to your home where you cannot leave. You could have a you could have a broken foot and, and be unable to leave and therefore be indefinitely confined. There, you could be, uh, you know, going through various medical treatments where you're at home. And there, there's just a whole host. And it's really up to the what the Wisconsin Supreme Court says is it's, it's up to that person to make the determination. It's not up to the clerk. It's not up to you know, anybody in the government to decide yes or not, you are yes or no, you are indefinitely confined. And, and you know, as Ann Jacobs told me, she's the chairwoman of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. She said, think about how invasive it would be to go out and have to quiz people about why did you mark yourself as indefinitely confined? So that's that's what she's saying. Now, on the other side, there are various conservative uh, activists out there who have gone out and tried to find out who was marked themselves indefinitely confined. And then they found some Facebook posts. This got brought up in the Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, case, the Trump campaign case, where they had uh, maybe 10 people that they were able to find that were marked themselves as indefinitely confined. They, you know, they voted that way, but at the same time, there's pictures of them on Facebook going to rallies. So that was part of what was brought up on Saturday's oral arguments at the Supreme Court for the Trump campaign lawsuit. Well, and, and in, in looking at that, if I understand correctly, one of the, the issues that they, the, the court had with that lawsuit was that the, the lawsuit didn't identify individual voters and challenge their individual votes. It challenged 
all of the votes or people, at least all of the votes in two specific counties, Milwaukee and Dane counties, where people use the designation indefinitely confined. And the courts seem to be concerned that if we invalidate all of those, there are people who were legitimately indefinitely confined whose votes would be thrown out. Exactly. No, that that was the reason there where why they went didn't go where the Trump campaign wanted to go is throw out all of those indefinitely confined votes in those two counties. And again, you know, without having, you know, without challenging the votes by name at the recount, for example, say, okay, I'm going to just make up a name here. Joe Smith was indefinitely confined. And here's, you know, here's documentation that he was out and about on the day that he voted in, in April and also in November. You know, here's proof that he really wasn't, in, you know, they didn't do that at the recount where they actually objected name by name to these tens of thousands of people that voted uh, this way in the fall election. So in in ruling in making that ruling, I believe the other issues that were presented, at least in one of the lawsuits that, that I was reading the opinion of, which was uh, the, the opinion was published on Monday uh, in, in one of these suits, there were four specific issues that were challenged. That was one of them. There were the, the other you, uh, you mentioned of the the curing of the ballots and, and a couple of others. The court actually did not rule on the merits of three of them, saying that simply the Trump campaign had just filed these too late in the game, as you said earlier, trying to change the rule book after the game was over. Um, but in the end, this is a four to three decision. And what really seems to be standing out, as Amanda mentioned before she left, for a lot of people, uh, this is uh, considered to be a court that has a conservative leaning, four to three leaning with uh, Judge Bri- or Justice Brian Hagedorn as the fourth conservative uh, vote, essentially. But he has been siding routinely this year on some very big cases with the liberal grouping. So he has made these four to three decisions. Um, he has uh, broken from conservatives. What kind of a response is that getting uh, in terms of, uh, you know, those who supported uh, putting him on the court in the first place? Right. I mean, he was backed by conservative groups. He was, you know, former uh, former uh, staff member for uh, former Republican conservative governor Scott Walker. Uh, you know, and, and again and again, he he this this ruling, he was the majority. He wrote the majority opinion for this Trump campaign challenge of the votes in Dane and Milwaukee counties. He also sided with uh, the progressives back uh, when we we're talking about that safer at home order and whether or not uh, that should be uh, upheld back in, in the spring. He sided with the progressives on that. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of disappointment uh, amongst um, amongst conservatives that that they're that the person they voted for, they thought was going to, you know, side with them on all of these issues, like, uh, like Dan, you know, Dan Kelly, who, who's now uh, who lost his uh, election back in April, uh, was a reliable vote on, you know, conservative issues like these. Um, but I think, you know, there's just a lot of disappointment for, for Brian Hagedorn amongst conservatives, you know, here, here's what he, uh, he wrote in his, uh, in his majority opinion, you know, he said, our laws allow the challenge flag to be thrown regarding various aspects of election administration. The challenges raised by the Trump campaign in this case, however, come along after the last play or even the last game. The campaign is challenging the rule book adopted before the season began. So that I mean, really strong language against the, the Trump campaign here. And and again, they're again, at least on three of these issues, they're not ruling on the merits. They're ruling on a procedural ground. And we see that play out also at the U.S. Supreme Court, where uh, where, you know, Justice uh, John Ro- Chief Justice John Roberts uh, often will uh, will on, on procedural issues, uh, they will be able to maybe dismiss a particular case here or a particular case there or where John Roberts will side with the progressives on a various issues, um, including uh, 
some of the stay-at-home lawsuits that we've seen across the country where he'll side with the, the progressives on, on that issue as well, uh, including in, in New York, where there was a challenge uh, by religious groups to uh, to occupancy limits. And, you know, John Roberts sided uh, with the with the progressives, but he, he cited it uh, based on a proceed, you know, procedural issues that uh, the current uh, the current challenge that these that these religious groups had made in New York's um, safer at home orders uh, weren't actually affecting those particular churches at the point uh, that they that, that the court was ruling. So, again, procedural issues uh, make it easier on some grounds for these judges to rule because uh, then they're not having to to, to make a, a constitutional determination about very, very tricky issues. And when we bring it back to the Wisconsin case regarding the election, these are issues that will need to be hammered out in the future because they're still they're still there. I mean, can clerks correct uh, missing witness addresses? Right now they can. That's the guidance of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. But the Supreme Court of Wisconsin did not rule on the merits, the substance of whether or not clerks can actually do that according to Wisconsin law. Well, to get just some idea of what a surprise and a lightning rod Justice Hagedorn has been, uh, Bill Luters, who is the president of the Wisconsin Freedom of Information Council, is also the editor of a publication called The Progressive. And he wrote a story uh, that uh, was published last week uh, where he had the a uh, bright idea, I wish I'd thought of it, frankly, to request the voicemails of Justice Hagedorn after uh, one of these decisions. And that was actually before some of the more recent decisions. Uh, but but he requested the voicemails and then published a story and included a link to uh, a SoundCloud link to all of these voicemails. Uh, and these are uh, Justice Hagedorn being trashed by conservatives, people who had once supported him and being praised by members of the public who were surprised, uh, liberal uh, callers in particular, who were surprise thinking that he was going to be that uh, that conservative uh, swing vote Sage messages uh, Justice Hagedorn you are an absolute disgrace and we the people of Wisconsin are completely embarrassed to have you on the court message two but I just wanted to compliment you on the courage and leadership you showed in the vote that you uh, made uh, yesterday. So those voicemails really speak to sort of the, the, the surprise and the, and the view many now have of him as, as sort of like Wisconsin's Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, but but these decisions will have a lasting impact. And, and I uh, one of the uh, other justices, Justice uh, Patience Roggensack, who wrote for the minority uh, in one of these cases, said that, you know, her real concern is that the court needs to sort of offer guidance here for future elections. It's one thing to say this one's over. Joe Biden's the winner and we're not going to change that. But but she said we actually need to rule on these things so that we can give guidance for future elections by not having done so. Is some of this still up in the air? Is some of this still a gray area as we move into 2021? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we we, we saw this the, these particular issues, which we've been talking about this entire podcast, they have popped up all over the, you know, in federal court, in, in state court, and, and these issues will, I think they're still alive. And in one of the dissents at the Wisconsin Supreme Court was very striking. It said, you know, a majority of this court disregards its duty to the people of Wisconsin, denying them justice. The Wisconsin Supreme Court has an institutional responsibility to interpret law, not for the benefit of particular litigants, but for citizens. We were elected to serve justice for the people of Wisconsin means ensuring the integrity of Wisconsin's election. So yeah, these issues are still alive. And I think, you know, we're going to, 
I think we're going to be looking to the courts in, in the months to come as uh, as we gear up uh, for our big elections in 2022. We'll have a, a Senate race, uh, potentially uh, if Ron Johnson decides to go for a third term. Uh, he, he's got his Senate seats up for grabs as well as Governor Tony Evers. His seat will be up for grabs in 2022. Lots of questions if either of them will run again for re-election. Uh, 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 Senator Johnson had previously said he was only going to serve these two terms. His, his term, his second term does expire in 2022. And I asked him yesterday in an interview, I said, okay, well, you, you had said you were going to make your determination about 2022 after the 2020 election. The 2020 election is over. What's it going to be? Are you going to run in 2022? He said, well, the election still isn't over because we still have these two outstanding Georgia Senate uh, runoff elections, which will determine if Republicans maintain control of the Senate. And he says he wants to see what happens there before he makes his determination. So stand, stand by to see what's going to happen in 2022. But again, these are going to be highly contentious races for governor and Senate and all of these issues that we're talking about, the witness signature, uh, the, the absentee ballot envelope corrections, uh, the indefinitely confined issue, all of these will continue to be on, uh, on the minds of voters as well as these candidates to, to figure out what is actually happening so that when people vote on election day, that we know that those, those votes are one way or the other will be, will be accepted by the courts. So I imagine a ton of lawsuits leading up to that, uh, leading up to that election in 2022. You know, we talked about Brian Hagedorn, you know, siding with, with his progressive colleagues against President Trump's campaign. But we also saw that across the board. And we saw that with uh, with federal judge in Milwaukee, that's Brett Ludwig. He just was recently nominated to that court by President Trump this year. He was just confirmed overwhelmingly by the Senate in, uh, in, in the fall. And so this was a high profile case for Brett, for Judge Ludwig. And, and he sided he sided against the Trump campaign. He sided with the Biden campaign on a host of issues as well there. So it's not just Brian Hagedorn. Many conservative uh, judges have also sided against the Trump campaign campaign here uh, for a variety of issues, including uh, the, the remedy that was being asked, which was to dismiss a, a whole host of votes in the state or to in the federal case that I'm mentioning here to allow the Wisconsin legislature to pick the electors pretty much to bypass the uh, the election and to, to, to judge that that election was unconstitutional and should be void. That was what they were asking in a federal court here in Wisconsin. And uh, and the judge, Brad Lutwood, you know, was not willing to go go there at all. And he, he said that this was not going to happen. So uh, you could see that happening in courts across the country with some of these lawsuits filed by the Trump campaign. Well, and I think even outside the legal world, there's a, a lot of consternation among conservatives. And I think many who are uncertain whether or not it's time to break from President Trump or whether you've got to kind of stick with the Trump train, because, of course, there's still the question of 2024. Will he run again? That's a whole other podcast. I'm not going to take us down that road right now. But but Jason, thank you so much once again for joining us. I, I specifically and especially appreciate it when you've got a morning with uh, busy things going on in your personal life and you still take, still take the time out to uh, share your insight. Uh, it, it's much appreciated. Thanks again for joining us on Open Record. It's great to be with you. Thanks, Brian. And we're going to continue bringing you these twice weekly episodes of Open Records. We cover the presidential election, the COVID-19 pandemic, reckless driving, and so much more. If there's a topic you want us to discuss or an issue you think we should investigate, send an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. As always, Thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. And please subscribe to Open Record. If you haven't already, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. 
We have one more episode coming out in 2020, and after that, we're going to take a little break for the holidays, so we'll be back for the new year after that. We will talk to you again next Tuesday for Amanda St. Hilaire. I'm Brian Polson. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.